You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these podcasts at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 125 by Rudolf Steiner, 14 lectures entitled Paths and Goals of the Spiritual Human Being, Life Questions in the Light of Spiritual Science, translated by Christian von Arnhem. This is Lecture 3, given in Copenhagen on the 2nd of June 1910, and this is the first lecture. We will deal with a specific subject in these three days. We will talk about the paths which the soul of the human being can take in the context of a spiritual scientific view of the world, about the goals of theosophical life. To this end, today's lecture will provide a kind of introduction. Tomorrow and the day after, we will then advance to the actual inner part of our reflections. Today our standpoint will be more of an outer one, I might say, and start with the question, is what we feel to be the spiritual scientific view of the world something which has been brought about through the convenience of individual personalities, or do its foundations lie in the soul of our time itself? Do we have something before us which is connected with the deepest needs of our age? We can best approach an answer to these questions if we are clear that all those who come to spiritual science from all kinds of different professions, be they rich or poor, strong or weak, are seeking souls. All of them are seeking souls who do not always know precisely what they are seeking, but feel that they are seeking something. They are often souls who have gone all kinds of different ways and have let those things act on them which the present can provide. Souls who have sought to satisfy their longing in this or the other field of art. Souls who have looked around in what science can offer. Souls who, more or less darkly, more or less brightly, have felt after laborious searches that they cannot find in the present what coincides with the searches of the soul. Such souls are frequently touched by what the spiritual scientific movement can give and say, yes, here an impulse lives, which is different from elsewhere, different from what has its origins in the life around me. What do such souls feel, or what can they feel, if they come into contact with what we may call theosophy today? We must not think that these seeking souls who find their way to spiritual science are the only ones who are seeking. They have been chosen, or they choose themselves, from a great number of seeking souls. Anyone who listens to what is spoken out of the deepest needs of our time will see that there are many souls who say, we thirst for the means to have the great riddles of the world answered for us, and we do not find that all the things provided by tradition, all the things which modern science has to say, can answer these riddles. Let us listen for a moment to what these souls the best among them have to say. They say, approximately, the following. And with these words, which flow out of hundreds and thousands of such seeking souls, we encounter something like the longing heart of our time. We look back into the distant past, 
and see how from centuries to centuries, from millennia to millennia, the various ideas about God and nature have followed one another, replaced one another, and led to conflict between their representatives. Many things have been passed down to us. Millions of people confess to such ideas and follow them out of an honest sense of truth. But just as many can no longer confess to what has been passed down out of such a feeling of truth, they feel out of a sense of love of truth that they have to let the old views go. What was it like in the far distant past? At that time people might, for example, look at the river flowing from the heights down into the plains, look at the beneficial effect of that river and ask themselves, what speaks to us out of the rush of this river? What is it that is at work in this river? And they found something in it, which they also found in themselves. They found that it was based on a spiritual something, a divine being. They found in the flowing river a divine spiritual power which rewarded them, which gave people what they needed for their well-being. They found something spiritual at work in the blowing wind the rolling thunder, the flashing lightning, which was the same as in the flow of the river, the sound of the surf. They saw something in it of which they said, What lives in my soul is related to the murmur of the brook, the rage of the storm. They may speak a different language, but there is something similar there nevertheless, and I feel I can understand it. Something similar was felt by those to whom Moses brought down the tablets of the law. They felt that a being spoke out of them which was infinitely greater than the father of a family. But what spoke out of the thunder and the venerable head of the family was nevertheless related. They felt the spirit throughout. They experienced a living bond between what lived in them as pain and joy and the external world a bond which these people in times immemorial were able to understand. That is what the best say. And if you go where serious science speaks, not trivial superficiality, you can hear the following. Our ancestors looked up to spiritual powers. They did not just see rippling water, blowing wind, the fire of lightning. They saw spiritual beings in these natural forces, gnomes, undines, sylphs, salamanders. Whatever we might think about these people, they were understood by their contemporaries, those people who wrote their belief as poetry into the external world, belief which gave them strength and stability. And now the best of these seeking souls add, we can no longer believe in gnomes, undines, sylphs and salamanders, in spiritual beings of nature, because we have been taught that iron laws work down as far as the smallest atom, and we have to think of the external world as a construction of these. We can no longer fill it with life as our ancestors did, can no longer hold sacrificial ceremonies and rites which send up our voices, can no longer say when we are racked with pain, do not despair, because life in the spiritual world will give you all the greater comfort. And a large number of people say, our whole world has become different. We no longer build on what was built on previously. If in earlier times someone had been pierced by a rusty piece of metal, they would have sought comfort with spiritual beings. 
Today we do better to go to the doctor and use the resources of external medicine. That is what we use today, to treat what previously would have been treated with what lives in the soul. Some argue against this, that we cannot be without the belief in a spirit, we cannot do without that. A spirit is at work in all laws, is at work in thunder, the same as in the atom, and a person only needs to have gone beyond the most terrible trivialities of materialism not to be able to deny such an insight. When seeking souls use the word spirit in this way, what do they mean? What is spirit? Where do its roots lie? How do people obtain an idea of the spirit? A strange view is being spread today. In America, people are talking about a new religion. The latter only wants to recognize a God who works in the laws of nature down as far as the atom. No one today can imagine a God in human form, the representative of this teaching says. But we cannot do without a divine spirit. And so this personality says this peculiar thing. The laws of chemistry are not enough. But from where should we take the content of an idea of God? And so we hear the following. We have to think of the spirit which is at work in nature in such a way that it possesses the characteristics of the human soul. People are not, therefore, prepared to imagine a God who possesses human characteristics, but they do not want to have something which gives substance to such an idea of God. And here we have the result. We cannot do otherwise. We cannot take the content of our idea of God from anywhere other than the human being. And the representative of this worldview further points out that in earlier times divine beings were venerated who inspired and filled people with their power and urged them toward a task. We cannot now, of course, believe any longer that there are supersensory beings who act as inspiration. But the future will venerate advanced helpers, wealthier spirits who have something to give to the poorer ones. So you see, in place of what happened in earlier times, feelings nevertheless occur which cling to those who can give comfort. After each earthquake, for example, there will be those who can give comfort to the many who have lost their dear ones. There will be human love when the supersensory helpers no longer exist. Can you not see the strange contradiction which occurs here? We are to look to those who give comfort. But where do they obtain the things in their soul which they need so that they can give comfort and love? Thus we find among the best ones that although they seek, the soul must feel that it faces emptiness. And what happens in science? Is comfort found in what science has brought us? Let us fully acknowledge the beneficial effect of science. But we must not forget one thing. How much of the purely physical pain which human beings have had to suffer since prehistoric times has been relieved? People have certainly not become stronger and healthier since then. Of course, there are many medicines which provide relief, but we have to draw attention to a contradiction here. External science believes that nothing can be lost. When we rub something, for example, the energy occurs as heat. Something that disappears reappears as a different kind of energy. Analgesics reduce pain, 
and people talk as if the pain had disappeared. Here there is a contradiction with that simple law. When the pain disappears, it reappears somewhere else. We can alleviate as much external pain as we want. It is transformed into soul pain. And people are not aware that these things are connected with the relief of outer pain. This should not prevent us from doing what we think necessary to relieve outer pain, but we have to learn to understand the connections and not indulge in illusions in the spiritual field. They have no idea, these seeking souls, that people situated in outer life today can, for example, be drawn into the powerfully developing field of industry and technology by what is presented to their eyes. But those who look more deeply can see this intoxication, this enthusiasm has to be paid for with something. You know that souls are becoming increasingly desolate, that they feel the answers to the riddles of existence less and less. Of course, we should make available in all areas what can relieve pain. But we should not forget that even when we satisfy the outer body, we can allow the soul to starve, can inflict more and more pain on the soul through unrelieved longing. That is the mood which overcomes people who not only observe human activity in a loving way, but who have an overview of the course which the future will take. There is much talk of the goals which people can set themselves, but in the intoxication which overcomes their soul when they are gripped by the swirl of external life today, they fail to notice that the soul has to remain a seeking one. And why? Let us place before our soul only at the deepest level the discrepancy in what we feel today. When we cut our finger and make it heal again, with the best medicines known to us, we know that the same laws of nature are at work as in our environment. We have been formed out of the whole of nature, out of the laws which govern around us. But at the same time, we feel the necessity to see something other within ourselves. We see that spirit flashes out of people's eyes, spirit speaks out of their hands, spirit sounds out of their voice. And in recognizing this, we also feel ourselves as the bearer of the spirit. We feel that we have been created out of our environment, but not alone from it. What rules this environment? The laws of physics, laws of chemistry, what we know today as the iron laws of nature, that is not sufficient to explain the spirit. The things provided by physics, chemistry, and biology are not enough for that. Where are the roots of what we can address as spirit? The spirit is within, inside ourselves, but homeless and rootless. We can understand the chemical composition of the blood, can precisely grasp the combustion process which takes place in us, and everything which is subject to the laws of physics and chemistry in the external world. But as soon as we see external nature with the spirit removed, everything becomes rootless. We cannot say that it is the same way that the blood is subject to the laws of the blood circulation, so something spiritual follows the laws of the environment. Spirit cannot be found in the latter, the seeking. Lost soul of the present says, I will not find the answers there which torment me, from where will they come? 
Now we can see where the problem lies. We see that our ideas about the external world are becoming ever clearer. But then human beings want to be rooted in something with their spirit, with their soul. The soul cannot but want to do that. It cannot escape from itself into a desolate, chemo-physical existence. That is where the split occurs. The soul has the need to imagine a spiritual being, but nowhere in the external world can it find what corresponds to its present-day ideas about a spiritual being. That gives rise to a deep untruth. People today cannot believe in sylphs, salamanders, undines, and gnomes, but the thing which could give them satisfaction does not exist. The soul stands there without substance. The deeper this is experienced, the less truthful it becomes when we talk only about the spirit. Either we find the spirit or we have to insert it artificially. It might appear to many that what has just been said is too far removed from daily feelings, but we will find souls everywhere whose pain has its origin in these foundations. What spiritual science brings seeks to respond to this great search. It endeavors to build a bridge between the soul itself and that which is outside, be it that the soul is listening to the raging storm or watching the gentle play of the waves. People are no longer capable of idealizing gods acting in the air and water from out of the characteristics of the human being. We have to prohibit ourselves from seeing an anthropomorphic image of ourselves in what we describe as divine beings. That is what the present time has learned. But the converse is the impotence of the seeking soul. On the one hand, it is told, if you find a god, you must not give him human characteristics. On the other hand, we have the consequence that we are not able to create a replacement for ourselves. Because these seeking souls are missing anything that would justify this almost self-evidently arising fact, they are at a loss. Where can they find the firm foundation that would give them security? That is only possible if human beings once again acquire the right to conduct research into the spirit, if they look more deeply into their interior. People in earlier times made do with less. People today are no longer satisfied with the former. Spiritual science tells people today, you have taken the wrong path are the characteristics which human beings have found to date all the characteristics? Are there not deeper foundations? Do we not find something hidden of which we can say, quote, yes, this could be related to what I feel to be the divine? Close quote. There has to be something which has deeper foundations than all the things which people have understood about themselves until now which gives them the right to transfer human soul characteristics to the divine. But how do we find the path to the foundations hidden in our own interior? Here spiritual science points us to the paths which previously only few people went. Today many people need to be told about these paths, for there are two paths, firstly the path of mysticism and secondly the path of occultism, in the true sense of the word. Let us look at these two paths. What is the path of mysticism? 
In order to understand this, we only need to place a particular moment before our soul. You all know that we say in spiritual science that the person in sleep is not the same being as when awake. On going to sleep, the inner part of the human being leaves, and on waking, descends back into the physical body and the etheric body. Generally, people do not take account of the fact that something else still happens in this process. Do we ever see from the inside that which descends? Then there is a mighty transformation in human beings. In the moment in which they descend, they do not see their etheric body and physical body from the inside. Otherwise, they would see that their corporeality is illusion, maya. As ordinary people, we see the environment and that part of us which we can see from the outside. Human beings do not see what works and lives within them. They only see the external part, which they also see in stones and minerals, because their gaze is diverted to the external world as soon as they descend into their lower bodies. Those who strove for a conscious awakening were the mystics. They experienced a conscious descent into the external human being. All the images of the inner life, which are familiar to the mystics, are what human beings can see when they turn their gaze away from the external world, from what normally captures their gaze. The mystics experience what human beings are when they look at themselves from the inside. There they do not, for example, see how the blood circulates, but they see that the blood is the bearer of divine activity. They see that the blood is a shadow of divine reality. That is what the mystics experience, the spiritual motor of their own being instead of external maya. What the mystics tell us is true. Let us listen to what they report. This descent is connected with what we call trials, temptations, the awakening of selfish drives. Read the descriptions of what the soul is capable of unfolding in terms of base instincts. We have to go through whole layers of passions, desires, selfish inclinations of which we barely think ourselves capable. All of these things have to be overcome when we want to penetrate to the deep layers of our own being. It is a wise provision that our gaze is directed away from our own interior, to begin with, because human beings are not mature enough to descend consciously into their own interior. They have to fight everything that rears up in them when they have trodden the path of overcoming their own egoism. Only then do they find the true human being who is concentrated in the smallest space, the point of the I, capital, only there are we fully within ourselves, know ourselves in good and evil, see what human beings really are when they find themselves beyond the layer which is formed by the instincts and desires, and when they have outgrown everything which they have become through education and convention. We have to pass through this layer if we want to penetrate into our interior. There is another way to obtain an understanding of the spirit within ourselves. It is not easy to follow and is protected against those not ready for it because it also contains its own dangers. Alongside the important moment of waking up, there is also the moment of going to sleep, which is equally important for looking at the human being. 
Let us look at it in greater detail. At the moment when they go to sleep, human beings pass over into the spiritual world, into the world apart from physical reality. Their consciousness stops. It is extinguished. Normal human beings do not, in a conscious way, have the spiritual world around them. If they were to penetrate the spiritual world before they were ready, then they would be afflicted spiritually to the most extreme degree with what in the physical world is being blinded. They would be blinded by a direct view of the spirit infusing the external world. Once again, it is necessary to strengthen human beings to such an extent that they are not blinded by the spirit infusing the external world. That is done by means of the occult path. Through this they find their eye not closely compressed in their own interior, but poured out over the whole external world, at one with the external world. That is the occult path. In learning to tread both these paths, the path of mysticism and the occult path, an important fact appears before the I, E-Y-E, of human beings. Let them find the point where they are most compressed in their own interior, and let them be poured out over the whole of the external world. Then they will ultimately experience one great mighty thing. What you experience when you descend into the depths of your own self, and when you pour yourself out into infinity, is the same thing. Mysticism and occultism, they go in opposite directions, and they lead to the same goal. Human beings discover something that has been asleep in them, that is enchanted in the external world, that can be found in the deepest part of their own soul and outside in the world of appearances. They find what lives as spirit behind appearances, and they find the spiritual in themselves when they have united with the mystical path of knowledge and with the occult path of knowledge. That, then, is the bridge with which the chasm can be bridged, before which the seeking soul of today stands, when it recognizes that it itself is something other than the world appearances outside, yet cannot combine itself in its characteristics with what surrounds it outside. Today there is the possibility of finding a path which shows how that which lives in us is nevertheless the same as that which lives in the external world. The seeking souls which stand outside our endeavors do not yet know it. That path is shown by spiritual science. The theosophical movement wants to be a signpost toward this goal. It will provide answers to the questions which are posed by the bleeding, struggling souls of today. These questions will sound into the present and spiritual science will give the answer. That gives it its inner justification and shows that it is not the arbitrary result of some people's mind, but a need of our time. Spiritual science will once again indicate ways and means to find the harmony between what lives in the environment and in the human soul. It will lead us to recognize the laws at work in nature, not as empty abstractions, but as thoughts of divine spiritual beings. In this way it will rediscover the spirit in the external world. Souls today are empty and desolate because they cannot do that. 
they can only obtain comfort, health, and strength in seeking the paths and goals of the spiritual human being. That shows the profound justification of such spiritual scientific striving. When we understand spiritual science in its deepest sources, we will give the soul the nourishment which it craves. We'll open up sources of spiritual action for it. And because all things external are an expression of the spiritual, over time also health. The longing and searching of the present time give spiritual science its goals. The end of Lecture 3